It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Tammy Bruce. I'm Juan Williams. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, August 3rd, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. He's not just a defendant doing court again today. Donald Trump is a former president leading the Republican race, trying to win that job back. We're in uncharted territory and we're in a perilous place. If it's clear that he's the nominee and he's running even or a little bit ahead of Joe Biden, are we going to put him in prison? I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The White House says they're engaged in a new effort to combat overdose deaths and fentanyl trafficking into the U.S. But is it too little, too late? We need to hold transnational criminal organizations responsible that for far too long have basically taken advantage of vulnerable Americans, and that's exactly what we're doing. We speak with the head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, Dr. Rahul Gupta. And I'm Chuck DeVore. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. I have never had so much support on anything before. That is not a typical statement from someone about to go to court to face criminal charges, but former President Donald Trump is not your typical defendant. We are on uncharted territory. We are in a constitutional abyss right now. Trump lawyer John Lauro, ahead of today's arraignment, telling Fox the former president's third indictment is an attack on the First Amendment that should never be allowed in this country. He's facing four charges, including conspiracy to defraud the United States with attempts to overturn the 2020 election leading to the Capitol riots. It was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government. That special counsel, Jack Smith, who's also charged the former president in the classified documents case prompting Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel to tell Fox. The voters right now in the Republican Party are very concerned about what they see as a two-tiered system of justice. The former president claims since he's the frontrunner by far in the 2024 right House race, this is election interference. I can't stand where we are now. In the name of quote-unquote saving our democracy, they're making things more perilous for our democracy. Ari Fleischer is a Fox News contributor, former White House press secretary for President George W. Bush. What are they going to do if Donald Trump wins this election because the American people want him to be the president? And there's a lot of evidence that Donald Trump could win the presidential election in 2024. Are they going to put him in prison? Are they going to have the Secret Service guard the president of the United States from inside a prison cell? Is President Trump going to pardon himself? And then is President Trump going to do to the Democrats what the Democrats have done to him and prosecute Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton or Hunter Biden? I mean, this is perilous stuff, and it's best left to the people to settle this. And that's why I'm very uncomfortable with criminalizing what's inherently bad political behavior. Obviously, those on the other side will argue, look, Just because he's running for president and just because things could get messy, we shouldn't overlook possible criminality, possible crimes. Why should we give him a pass? Because it needs to be clear-cut evidence of crimes when you go after a president. Look, I've never thought the election was stolen. I have said that regularly on the air. 
Donald Trump believes it was stolen. So is it a crime for him to have that belief? I think he's wrong, but it's not a crime. If saying an election was stolen was a crime, half the Democratic Party would have to go to prison. You in the Stacey Abrams gubernatorial election, Senator Sherwood Brown from Ohio, Senator Booker from New Jersey, they both said the election was stolen. Should they go to prison? What about all the collusion allegations against Donald Trump that turned out to be lies? What about the Steele dossier that turned out to be lies? Should Robert Mueller have to go to prison because he investigated Donald Trump and used the levers of power and the levers of government over something that turned out to be a lie? Should Eric Swalwell, should Adam Schiff have to go to prison? Should Nancy Pelosi have to go to prison? Because they pursued collusion allegations and ardently believed that Donald Trump colluded and it turned out to be a lie. Some of the Trump challengers in the 2024 Republican race have come to his defense. Vivek Ramaswamy tells Fox. I think it's important for those of us competing against Trump to take a strong stand against these politicized indictments. Ron DeSantis says. When I'm president, uh, we will bring accountability. We will end weaponization. And that regards to new leadership at the FBI, DOJ. We're going to take power out of D.C. Other candidates are more critical of the former president. His ex-VP Mike Pence posted anyone who puts himself above the Constitution should not be president. Chris Christie wrote, Trump violated his oath and brought shame to the presidency. Yeah, I just don't think anybody's going to be able to beat Donald Trump on this because the Republican base is reacting to this by saying the deck is stacked. You're going against Trump and doing things to him that you did not do to Hillary Clinton, you, that classified documents case, that you obviously aren't doing to the president of the United States, Biden's son, to protect Joe Biden. And so the deck is stacked. And I think that's a winning argument for Republicans because it's the truth. So the only thing I think you can do is I think Mike Pence actually is the one who, in this instance, got it the most right by saying that that. It's not criminal, but constitutionally what Donald Trump tried to do, he shouldn't be in charge of upholding the Constitution because of what he sought to do. And that's a judgment. That's a political judgment. Let people make that judgment. In the New York Times Siena poll this week, 53 percent, that's the number who are having a, a negative view of former Vice President Mike Pence. More than half Republicans have a negative view of him. Yeah, and I don't know that that's tied to January 6th. Okay. I, I think that's for bigger, deeper, longer reasons than that. But if you're going to beat Donald Trump in the primary, you just have to take Trump on. You have to take Trump on from somebody who supports Donald Trump's policies, but you have to show that you're a steadier outsider than Donald Trump, that you're the steady outsider, that Donald Trump is unsteady, that Donald Trump, because of all the distractions, isn't going to be able to get the job done, which is what Tim Scott is trying to do. Tim Scott is trying to show just by being positive why he's better than the rest of the field. Uh, that's how I think you're going to beat Donald Trump, a combination of proving you're better and taking him on where necessary. Okay, now, now you brought up Tim Scott. He has risen. He's gotten into the low single digits, 10 11% in polls in like uh, some of the early contest states, like in Iowa. Chris Christie, not getting into the double digits yet. He's the one who is the strongest saying the former president... He failed in his office to build a wall. He failed to do all these things. He's not the right choice now. We have to do something different. He's not gaining traction. He's getting a lot of television time, but he's not gaining traction. Yeah, Chris Christie's not it. He, he's not the one, to use a boxing analogy, he may be trying to soften up Donald Trump's belly 
by just trying to land punches. But Chris Christie is never going to be the one who wins this fight. What about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? He was in the 20s. The last couple of polls, he's in 15, 17 percent. He's almost 40 points back or is more than 40 points back, depending on which poll you look at. He's cut staff. He's made changes. What do you think of him? I think the first debate is do or die for Ron DeSantis. He really has to come across as somebody who is likable, is attractive, who is gives you a sense of where he'll take the country. And he cannot afford a bad first debate. Do you think Donald Trump will show up? He has hinted more than once. There's no reason for him to be at this first debate. It's now about 20 days away. Do you expect him on that stage or not? I don't. And the only reason, if you're Donald Trump, that I think you should show up on that stage is because you're going to want Joe Biden to show up on that stage one year from now or in October of 2024. And Biden will be able to say, well, Donald Trump didn't show up, so why should I show up? It's good enough for Donald Trump. It's good enough for me. And you want that 82-year-old or then 81-year-old man to be up on stage debating. So that is the only reason if you're Trump. But when you're ahead by this much in the polls in the primary, I think it's political malpractice to give your opponents a chance to level the playing field with you. 52% of Republicans in the New York Times poll say they are not even considering anyone else, only former President Trump. But if he's not on that debate stage and they tune in, maybe they'll start to like somebody and maybe they'll open their mind. Is that possible? Yes. Look, there will be an alternative to Donald Trump. Several will drop out in the fall. By New Hampshire, post-New Hampshire, is it one-on-one? Is it a one-on-one race? And that changes everything. A one-on-one race in, in the Republican primary someone could still emerge to defeat Donald Trump. Is it possible in three or four months people might just be weary of it all before his first trial ever even starts and don't want to deal with it anymore? Is that possible? Yes, I do think that's one of the causes that would allow an alternative to Trump to emerge and emerge strong. There is a sense of weariness. That's this unease about Donald Trump. And a good part of the party loves it because they want the belligerent, tough fighter. But a good part of the party says, gosh, sometimes he just goes too far. The first trial date for him is in the New York hush money case. That's March 25th. By that time in New York, more than half the states will have already had their 2024 primary or caucus contests. He might already pretty much have the nomination in the bag at that point. Is that possible? Yes, that's possible. But this is why I said, I, I, I said, Dave, that we're in uncharted territory and we're in a perilous place. If it's clear that he's the nominee and he's running even or a little bit ahead of Joe Biden, are we going to put him in prison? If Donald Trump wins the election because the people want him to win the election, obviously he's going to have his Justice Department dismiss all the charges, uh, won't pursue any appeals, justice will drop it. And he won't be prosecuted. If Joe Biden wins and Donald Trump is convicted, then Donald Trump either goes to prison, is under house arrest. Who knows what that's going to look like? If he is convicted and it's before, let's say, the Republican nomination and the convention, say he is in line to be the nominee, but enough people will say, no, we can't afford to have him on the ballot and lose in November now that he's convicted. In 2016, people tried 
to put together a plan to take the nomination away from him at the convention. Could that happen again, if possible, no. in 2024? No? No. If Donald Trump is the front runner going in, if he's won the primaries and caucuses, I see zero chance okay. of a rebellion at the Republican convention that would take him down. I think there's a greater chance that Joe Biden has another health scare and he goes into the Democratic convention. And especially if there's a Democrat who looks like he could be stronger against Donald Trump, I think the chances would be higher that the Democrats at their convention say, Joe, what are you doing? Let's get a new generation in there. How did former President Trump emerge back to where he is? Because if you go back right after the Capitol riot, right in 2021 and before he left office, there were a lot of Republicans that condemned what he said, condemned the riot. He wasn't walking away from the presidency in a good light for a lot of people. How did he come back? So I do think these prosecutions have fortified Donald Trump inside the Republican Party. If they hadn't prosecuted him, I think it would have been a cleaner moral statement for Republicans to say Donald Trump's behavior on January 6th was wrong. He didn't incite the riot, but he certainly didn't do everything he could have to make those rioters leave instantly. And he should have been horrified by that riot. So I think the prosecutions took this from an internal moral Republican matter where they could have been critical of Donald Trump to a prosecutorial matter where people have to rally behind Donald Trump. Ari Fleischer, former White House press secretary under President George W. Bush, current Fox News contributor. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Ari. My pleasure. Good to talk to you. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. This is Chuck DeVore with your Fox News commentary coming up. Opioids are killing thousands of Americans each year. 106,000 Americans died roughly by overdose in 2021, and most of those deaths were from opioids, including synthetic ones. Fentanyl's flowing into the country, far more powerful than heroin or morphine, at an alarming rate. And traffickers are making pills laced with fentanyl to look like medical-grade Percocets or Valiums. Two of Rebecca Kiesling's sons thought they were taking Percocets when they overdosed and died. Earlier this year, she testified to Congress. This is a war. Act like it. Do something. There have been quite a few hearings, though. At some, House Republicans criticize Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and demand he be impeached, accusing him of failing to secure the border. California Congressman Tom McClintock told Mayorkas a family of six was murdered just outside of his district and the sheriff called it a cartel hit. The Jalisco a New Generation cartels now established hubs in Los Angeles, Denver, Phoenix, and Chicago. So how long before we can expect the same kind of gun battles here as have become routine in Mexico? During a separate Judiciary Committee hearing, McClintock questioned FBI Director Christopher Wray about whether cartels are operating more frequently inside the U.S. The cartels working uh, in kind of an unholy alliance with dangerous violent gangs here in the U.S. are responsible not just for the uh, abominable distribution of fentanyl all over the country, but um, but also an awful lot of the violence that comes along with it. And that's coming principally across our southern border. 
Uh, that's a huge driver of it, certainly. The White House has since announced new plans, deploying new scanners to the border to detect fentanyl, expanding the high-intensity drug trafficking area program, as well as FDA approval of an over-the-counter naloxone nasal spray in the event of an opioid overdose. Well, we know right now what's happening is the overdose deaths are flattening across America. Access to treatment is expanding. And we're seizing record amounts of fentanyl at the border as part of the president's unity agenda. Dr. Rahul Gupta is the head of the Biden administration's Office of National Drug Control Policy. The reason these are happening, as the president has called out, to focus on in a bipartisan way, both addressing the mental health crisis and the opioid crisis and ending it really, is to both focus on increased seizures at the border with these drug detection machines as well as making sure people have the treatment, as well as a life-saving antidote drug naloxone available to them. Because of that, we're seeing uh, these improvements year over year, but again, we have a long way to go. And I think it's important to understand that every life is worth saving, and we've got more work to do. I think those who've maybe lost family members might tell you, as Rebecca Kiesling did to Congress, that the best way to combat the drugs coming in and overdose deaths would be to stop people from bringing the, the drugs, especially fentanyl here in the first place. And she, she called it a war and said we should act like it. Do you think the administration has taken this as seriously as it should have or maybe should it have taken it this seriously sooner? Well, I can tell you from day one, this has been a top priority for the president with a sense of urgency. It's because of that. We're seeing record seizures. If you look at this administration, we've seized 45,000 pounds of fentanyl in this administration, compared to a third of that in the entire past administration. The reason for that is we're putting technology to work for the American people. We're going after the drug traffickers and producers, no matter where they are in the world, including in Mexico and China. And at the same time, understanding the problem doesn't begin or end at the border. It begins with precursor chemicals being shipped from China and ends up too mm. far off in the emergency rooms somewhere in America every single day. I want to touch on that before I let you go, but I want to ask also, it says you guys are sending 123 of these scanners to land ports of entry to detect fentanyl. I know Republicans, even some advocates on the Democrat side, have been talking about getting these scanners deployed for a while now since land ports are where most of the fentanyl comes in through, and apparently these scanners are pretty effective. What what took so long? Was it getting the tech ready? Was it sort of uh, figuring out the logistics of getting them to the actual ports? Sure. So I'm glad you asked that question because I was just in Nogales, Arizona recently with their scanners and I've seen 445% increase, 38 million pills seized there just because of the scanners. So what is important when we talk about putting the scanners in, we got to have the infrastructure like lanes and roads constructed. We got to have make sure that we're blocking the radio frequencies for these scanners to be put in. And then the technology itself and people behind it to make sure we're scanning them. We're working through every one of these. But I can tell you this, that President Biden is committed to getting these scanners as early as possible and making sure that we are seizing more drugs as we are right now, because we've got to use technology like this to stop drugs from coming through the border. This memo also says nine additional counties will be added to the high-intensity drug trafficking area program. Um, a county in Texas, Kentucky, New York, Pennsylvania. Do they join one of the existing 33 high-intensity programs? And 
how effective are these programs if we are so saturated with fentanyl and opioids and drugs that have come into our country? So these HIDA programs, that we call them, they run out of my office and they get resources directly to law enforcement at local and state levels in all 50 states. Reason that's important is not only did they seize 26,000 pounds of fentanyl last year, but they've denied their traffickers $22 billion just last year. So every dollar that gets invested in our law enforcement across the nation, we get $83 in return. In my view, that's the best return on investment you can make in our law enforcement, the brave men and women. And you know what? They put their lives at risk every single day. And what we should be doing is to support them. And that's why we expanded it to add to the existing hiders to make sure that we're leaving no stone unturned when it comes to saving American lives. You know, Dr. Gupta, you said earlier on in this interview that the issue of drugs and overdose deaths has been treated with urgency since the president took office. But I have to ask you, I mean, you're the head of the Office of National Drug Policy. How concerned have you been um, watching millions of people come into the country, hundreds of thousands of known gotaways, the head of the FBI, the FBI directors telling Congress in open hearings that what comes across the southern border is a huge driver in the cartel distribution of fentanyl and related violence. What do you say to all of that? Uh, what I say is this, we need to hold transnational criminal organizations responsible that for far too long have right, basically taken advantage of vulnerable Americans. And that's exactly what we're doing. We have sanctions on chemical companies and Chinese individuals, as well as cartel members like never before. We know that El Chapo's son today is behind bars and naloxone, the antidote, is going to be over the counter. This very basically sums it up, that the progress that is being made like never before in this administration to save lives, at the same time going after wherever these criminals might be, whether they're in Mexico, in China, in any other country, we're following them and we're going after them. And this is why we've launched a global coalition against synthetic drugs. We've got more than 80 countries signed up. And this is a threat that you know pervades through America, but through our entire world. And we are determined to go after the bad guys, no matter where they are. And I think everybody would say that's that's great. You know, we should be doing that. But when you hear that hundreds of thousands of known gotaways have come into the country, that we're at a record number of names matching our terrorist database, the, the terrorist database that CBP has access to. We have this flood of people. We don't even know who's here necessarily. And, and I think so when you talk about all the things that you're doing and that this administration is doing moving forward, I think that most people could agree that's solid, but what about what's already here maybe? And the fact that we let it all here? Well, let's be clear, um, Jessica, that when we have over 100,000 Americans dying a year, we know that 90% or more of the drugs are coming through ports of entry. That's where we have to double down and make sure that majority of these are coming through commercial as well as personal vehicular traffic. And you know, in the last administration, let me give you a stat. Only 2% of personal traffic was being scanned for drugs. Only 17% of commercial traffic was being scanned for drugs. That is unacceptable to me, and it's unacceptable to President Biden. President wants to see every vehicle that needs to be scanned for these lethal and deadly drugs get scanned. And this is the goal we're going after, to make sure that there's no vehicle that is harboring these drugs and is being passing to the border. It's very important that we follow the track and follow the money wherever it leads us.
Interesting. Okay. There was an article from a couple months back about a spying tool that is about to expire. I know you're aware of it. FISA Section 702. This allows for spying on foreign targets without a warrant, and our intelligence agencies say they need it badly. But this article said one of the ways the Biden administration may convince Republicans to quickly reauthorize 702 without demanding a ton of changes is by promising to use it to track cartel leaders. You just referenced the notion, right, of going after cartel leaders. I'm not asking you to confirm this story necessarily, unless you care to, but something like that, hypothetically, would that be helpful, I guess, in, in, in stopping the flow of drugs, tracking who's handling them? Jessica, I'll be straight up with you. The fact is that this FISA tool, Section 702, is used to make sure that foreign adversaries that are out there to harm America are being held accountable. I can tell you a great amount of our intel when it comes to these cartels and other producers and manufacturers and traffickers of drugs come from this type of information and it's a critical tool. I can tell you this is a critical tool to saving lives every single day. And it is important that Congress looks at it from that perspective. Okay, I'll take that as a confirmation. Finally, um, former White House Drug Policy Advisor Kevin Savett recently said that pot legalization has been, I think it, he said it was just a straight up bad idea. It's leading to mental illness, including higher rates of psychosis. We are seeing you know, more and more medical professionals calling out marijuana use and, and legalization as being maybe connected to more health problems. I understand the thing is, you know, this isn't your dad's weed, right? This stuff is much stronger. And as more states legalize it, I guess, given your position, what is on your radar? What should we be talking about, in your opinion? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head, which is this is not your grandma's weed. What we're dealing with today is some of the most dangerous and deadly sort of levels of, you know, challenges that we see with synthetic drugs. But when it comes to organic drugs like marijuana, uh, we're still seeing um, a challenge with illicit growth that is occurring in our country and other places as well. But the most you know, troubling part of this is the use of marijuana in children, in adolescents, in teens. Uh, I've spoken to so many pediatricians across the country that tell me that sometimes up to 30 percent of patients that they're seeing are uh, has suffering from either addiction or drug use. Uh, some of those children are suffering from psychosis that is brought on by use of marijuana. So it's really important and I'm, I can tell you with no more sincerity that we've got to protect our children when it comes to using any substances and that includes marijuana. Uh, President last fall, as you know, um, announced pardoning for simple possession in the federal system of all those with simple possession marijuana, but also challenged the governors to do so and asked the Department of Justice and Department of Health and Human Services to look at the, you could look at science and data to, uh, you know, do a review in an expedited way of the scheduling process as well. And that's an independent process that's ongoing as well. Dr. Rahul Gupta, head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy at the White House, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Meet the American who invented the electric guitar. 
In the midst of the Great Depression, a Swiss-born entrepreneur used the time of economic unrest to invent the instrument that would define pop music around the world for generations. Adolf Rickenbacker was born April 1st, 1887 in Basel, Switzerland. Before moving to the United States, his father ran a small business as a cabinet maker and a model builder. After moving to Los Angeles in 1918, he took the knowledge of his father's business, where he built a manufacturing company that provided metal parts for various industries. Among his many clients was the National String Instrument Company, whose co-founder was frustrated in his efforts to electrify guitars. The pair band together and eventually filed the patent for the instrument in 1934. The first model was dubbed the Rickenbacker Frying Pan, which used an electromagnetic pickup that turned the vibration of the strings into electric pulses, which could be dramatically amplified in ways other guitars could not. Teenagers eventually discovered the raw energy the instrument provided in a post-World War II America, where they were accustomed to the dynamic American-stringed music cultures of blues, jazz, and bluegrass. Although Americans invented rock and roll, the British added a certain flair to the genre. During the 50s and the 60s, John Lennon strummed his prized 1958 Rickenbacker 325 during their appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Iconic guitar designers such as Les Paul and Leo Fender built upon the technology pioneered by the frying pan, ultimately empowering a raw, energetic, and at first, uniquely American style of music. Rickenbacker lost his battle to cancer in 1976 at 89 years old in Fullerton, California. The electric guitar proved the perfect instrument for a society of diverse cultures and influences. You can go to the lifestyle section at foxnews.com to find more of these incredible stories. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Chuck DeVore. What's on your mind? California, that bellwether of the absurd, is about to do it again. The same legislature that rejected legislation to add human trafficking of a minor for purposes of a commercial sex act to the state's list of serious felonies until public outrage prompted reconsideration has now seen the supermajority Democrats pass a bill out of the assembly that mandates consideration of race in criminal sentencing. The California State Assembly voted Assembly Bill 852 out of the chamber on a vote of 58 to 13 in May with all I votes coming from Democrats. The measure is now pending before the Public Safety Committee in the Senate. Critics call it the Public Jeopardy Committee. AB 852 grows out of Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom's Reparations Task Force. The bill requires California's criminal courts to consider the desperate impact on historically disenfranchised and system-impacted populations when issuing a sentence. In other words, Two men with similar criminal histories, each convicted of murder, would see different sentencing outcomes dependent on the color of their skin, something one might have expected in the Jim Crow era South, but certainly not in present-day America. Our justice system is supposed to punish individuals for what they do, not for who they are, as President Biden's son Hunter may be starting to find out. 
Extending preferential treatment to a criminal based on their race wrongly punishes individuals not benefiting from that leniency. Further, the lack of punishment could be seen as excusing the criminal act for which an individual is convicted. Additionally, and especially now when the public's perception of a two-tier justice system is particularly acute, injecting race into our justice system destroys public confidence in the judicial process and injures the democratic ideal that we are all equal before the law. Brett Tolman, a former U.S. attorney and executive director of Right on Crime, a national conservative criminal justice campaign of the Texas Public Policy Foundation, criticized the proposed law, noting, equity sentencing is a direct violation of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution and sets up the criminal justice system to fail. Lady Justice is blindfolded for a distinct reason, to not be persuaded by a person's sex or color of their skin or their religion to deliver a desperate sentence. It also revives an ugly stain in our history when individuals could be punished because of their skin color. But in the twisted world of progressive grievance politics, it's not outcomes that matter, but loudly stated intentions. When logic and reason die, People soon after get robbed, raped, and murdered. I'm Chuck DeVore. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.